0: Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? lower utility costs, and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. Hello, welcome. It's Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis and other places. Thanks for joining us tonight. You heard from the latest, I think, as of this moment, confirmed IndyCar driver for 2024. That's Pietro Fittipaldi. Uh, thank you for being on the show tonight, Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. Back in our studios in Indianapolis, Elijah Robertson is in charge tonight with assistance from Eddie Garrison. Trackside is... Dockside for part of the program. It's my yearly excursion. Kurt, I've sort of started the Avoid Indiana tour. And I, unfortunately, I started it too early because the weather is nice much of the time at home. So last week, I had a quick trip for a, a golf tournament, benefiting the uh, Foundation Fighting blindness in the Boston area. And now I'm at the Fort Lauderdale International, International Boat Show, which I've helped produce for the television show for the last few years. Uh, how is the weather at home? It's often better at home this time than it is elsewhere.
1: Well, it was really nice today and, and you know, low mid-70s, glorious yeah, sunshine, glorious sunshine. It's one of those days you just wonder why we don't have more of these. You know, it just yep. seems perfect. So I uh, didn't get a lot done outside today. Got some work done, got some stories written and some broadcasting done. So here we go.
0: Okay, I'd like the boat show to move back to like December because I do enjoy Indiana in October. But it is when it is. And it's a good gig to have. We got news. We got a lot of things going on. We have guests on the program tonight. Uh, We have one of the young up and comers, maybe the favorite in the Indy Next championship in 2024. It's Louis Foster with Andretti Global and someone you may know of who will be continuing the drive for five. Elio Castroneves on the show. Some of your Twitter questions and more later on tonight at Kevin Lee23 at Kurt Cavan, or we might save them until next week. I believe next week's show is also on a Tuesday from 7 until 9. So let's start uh, with driver confirmations. We have a couple. We'll go in reverse order. You just heard from Pietro Fittipaldi. I think that one surprised a lot of people. I talked last week about, you know, I guess, I think it's going to be Yuri Vips. I don't know. Well, it turns out Yuri Vips is still part of the Ray Hall Letterman-Lanigan program, and they are efforting putting him in a fourth car at times. Uh, but it's Pietro Fittipaldi. I didn't have that one on my bingo card.
1: Yeah, I didn't either. You know, funny, though, that, you know, I think back to his time at IndyCar in 2018, and and honestly, I'd kind of forgotten that he came back in 21 to run three races on the ovals, sharing the car with Roman Grosjean uh, back in the coin days when Grosjean wasn't a full season IndyCar driver. And, you know, Pietro's just continued to be around. I mean, I would see him talk, you know, talk about him with people. And I knew he was still trying to make an effort to make it happen but I sure didn't see it in this case because Bobby Rahal seemed to have his guy in Yuri Vips and turns out he probably still has his guy in Yuri Vips because he's kept him on the program, kept him signed up in case they have a need for a fourth car or maybe even a third car in some circles. Maybe it's a part-time fourth car. Maybe it's a, you know, it could be one or two races. We just don't know yet. But the bottom line is, uh, yeah, this one kind of came out of nowhere.
0: So I've still had him when I look at my list of potentials. He's still been on there, but I've kind of quit listing him. I think I've mentioned him each of the last few years in part because of what you mentioned that he came back and did the 521. Remember, he got hurt that first time around in a sports car and couldn't do the 500 that year. So I knew he was still trying. And I'd hear his name come up as a possibility for certain rides but you know then you kind of move on to out of sight out of mind even though he still very much was in the mix you know we, we've seen him in a couple of Formula the one races uh we've seen him in sports cars both internationally and in IMSA I remember chatting with him at Sebring this year when he was running in IMSA uh so how did this happen how did it go from Yuri Vips who showed well and obviously, it's not a case that they don't want to be in the Yuri Vips business or they would not say, yes, he's still a part of our program. So I think the safe or the possible assumption, no sourcing on this, but it likely comes down to money, which is the way it often does, uh, unfortunately, in motorsports. But this is a combo because Pietro Fittipaldi is qualified. He's someone that in the right circumstances, many think can do well. And I think Graham Rahal kind of gave us a hint of this at the bullpen when we talked with him late in the season, Uh, even though he's not the owner, he's even often asked questions from more of an ownership perspective because he's pretty close to the owners. And he said, our third car, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, has some work to do. That means they need more budget. It's not fully funded. So while we'd love to simply choose the driver and attach Sponsorship to it. If you're a little bit short and you can, so you have choices. The team can make less profit or share some sponsorship and do things maybe not the way they would like. Or if we find a driver we are comfortable with who has access to some budgets, then that's the path we might take. So I don't know that that's the case, but that makes the most sense at this point. And VIP still stays on the radar. And maybe we see him this season uh, or or down the road. So I'm happy for Pietro. Nice young man who you know started oval racing on short tracks in North Carolina. And you know, let's face it, it's it's not bad for the sport to have a fit of quality involved.
1: No, it's it's good on a lot of fronts. He's he's certainly qualified, and honestly, he's more qualified than he was in 2018 or 2021 for that matter. You know his his LMP2 experience at at Le Mans at at the Rolex, at in WEC, the World Endurance Championship, he's, uh, you know, he's run that that European uh, sports car series. He has just been, you know, and he's continued to do other things. He's done DTM, uh, which is a big time series in Germany. He's, uh, you know, he has stayed active in in his Formula One pursuit. So uh, there's a lot of reasons to like his experience. Uh, maybe not in in this series, you know, nine races over, what, partial two se- seasons, but he has, you know, he has not just sat back and rested on the fact that he's a Fittipaldi. Uh, you also wouldn't discount the fact that Max Pappas, you know, is his uncle and, and probably was still advocating for him. Certainly, you know, Max has got great connections with Bobby Rahal having driven for him. And I'm sure that, that, uh, I'm sure if if really put to the test, Bobby would say that Max hasn't stopped talking about Pietro and reminding him that he would be a good choice. So you add all those things up, uh, and the fact that um, you know, there might be a, a, a money shortfall to to cover in some form, you'd think Pietro would be the kind of kind of driver that would attract some money on top of his talent. So I think it's a good choice. Uh, you know, he's run well on ovals uh, qualified, It was the fastest rookie qualifier at Indy in 2021, you know, ran in the top 10 at Phoenix ran in the top 10 at gateway. So he's, he's done pretty well in the
0: ovals as well. So you mentioned Max Pappas who is in race control and is his uncle. I think I read Nathan Brown tweet something that he asked the question, or maybe it was in the Indianapolis star that already Pappas will recuse himself from any steward decisions involving uh Pietro, which I think is the case Ari Leindike does with renas VK. Is that correct? Even yes. though he did he hasn't doesn't have that tight of a connection with renas as he was coming up through the road to Indy. Ari was an advisor to the family. So when he got to IndyCar, that he said, you know what? If there's a call to be made on Renus, I'm just going to stay out of it and you guys can decide amongst yourselves. So, uh, you know, I know some people might look at that. Here's the reality, Kurt. Everyone in motorsports has relationships with many, many people, some financially, some otherwise. You just have to trust
2: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: You have to trust the person that you are asking to make decisions.
1: No, you're right. You're right. There are so many people are connected on so many levels. I mean, and now we've got, you know, decisions relative team to team with Arrow McLaren and a Hunko's partnership. We've got Penske and a Foyt and we've got Andretti and a Meyer Shank. And I know those aren't exactly what you're talking about, but there are decisions all over the paddock that are made from a competition standpoint, you know, whether you let this guy pass, whether you help, you know, pick up a position that helps this satellite program you're working for. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways that you can slice that one. And, you know, it's not, you know, it's not going to be a clean break on a lot of fronts. But, uh, you know, Max, most people have great respect for Max and Ari as well. I mean, I'm sure yep. some calls have gone the wrong way over the years. But but generally speaking, they have developed a great trust uh, from the paddock. And I would expect that to continue.
0: So that was one confirmation that happened yesterday that surprised many. And the other last week, in some ways, surprised people probably shouldn't. But we talked last Tuesday how Hunkos Hollinger Racing had delayed their announcement, which they would said was coming. and And my guess was that it was either going to be someone different in the car that Canapino, Augustine Canapino, drove last year, or maybe we would get a Callum confirmation. And I know I'm not the only one, but I think a lot of people started to fear, especially when you hear about the challenges of finding sponsorship and partnership out, out of Argentina, that there might not have been the budget to run Augustine Canapino, because that what it was what it was going to take. So I think this is a positive. That they've gotten this done, that tells me that Ricardo Juncos has found budget specifically for Augustine Canapino out of Argentina. So that's great. I want to see what he can do in year number two.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting watch. I mean, obviously, he was the story of the first half of the season. He ran, he ran very well. You know, what he ran eleventh in his first two races at St. Pete and at Barber, two difficult tracks for a newcomer. Um, I was talking to a driver just the other day about how you know you're thrown into the fire at St. Pete if that's your first race in a series, and then you go to Barber, the most physical place probably that that IndyCar races, or certainly right up there, very difficult track, and and so to go to those two places and go 11-11, uh, very impressive from Canapino. He was good at Indy. He obviously, was was uh, punched above his weight relative to IndyCar experience at a lot of places. So good for him. I'm I'm intrigued by watch, watching that. And now we need to see the rest of the Hunkos program come together.
0: Uh, and I, one of the reasons that I worried that he wouldn't be invited back, not only was the budget issue, was I wondered if McLaren was going to want a younger driver in that car or uh, someone that, their surplus of sponsors wants to be associated with. Now, maybe that that is part of the Canapino package because he is very likable uh, and does have an international perspective. But I've mentioned before that I've heard about Romang Grosjean, and just because he's not in that seat, I'm not going to eliminate that as a possibility. Now, for that to happen, that would mean that he would be taking over Callum Eilat's seat. So I would just say, we're going to need to keep an eye on that that is going to need to be confirmed. Even if Callum Ilott was in the middle of a multi-year contract, the team is going to need to confirm that he is returning because Ricardo Junco's quotes have been vague, essentially saying, yeah, he's our driver uh, as of now, you know, kind of thing. So that that's going to be reconfirmed that he is there. And what does McLaren think? And who do they want representing their brands? Because this is more of a... Commercial partnership, correct? That correct. McLaren wanted to have a fourth car. They just couldn't logistically do it. So that's why they partnered. They are selling sponsorships so well, they need somewhere to put stickers. And it's going to be on a Junco's hollinger car. And maybe it's on Canapino's. But my guess is it's going to be on the 77 that callum Lot drove last year. Is it lot If it's just simply about getting the most visibility, for McLaren partners, uh, they might say, we want Romain Grosjean. He has the biggest platform of any driver that is out there available, and very high on the list, especially internationally. So I would say stay tuned on that. That is still one that I think is definitely still in flux. You know, just quick update of where things stand. Um, The Foyt cars, we still need to know what's happening on those cars. And kind of the same thing with Benjamin Peterson. That's the plan, and I think that is going to happen. It's a multi-year contract, so I don't know how that works. They don't they don't need to make an announcement because they made an announcement of a multi-year contract. But at some point off over the off season, with some speculation on that front, it's probably going to be good to just you know how do you do it? You don't even have to make a, a release, but it's just in the public eye on social media. Make it very clear that he is a part of your program.
1: Yeah, we also need to hear Dale Coyne's teams, the plans that they have. Uh, we still have an open seat at Ed Carpenter Racing uh, that we need to verify uh, in some form, and and I think some combination of those seats—the two at Foyt, the two at Coyne, the one at at, uh, Ed Carpenter racing. And I don't think we're missing anybody else unless it's a dryer and Reinbold situation, uh, for the month of may or maybe beyond. But I think, I think that's, you know, that's still another one out there somewhere in there. You would think Devlin D Francesco factors because his program has been strong from a sponsorship standpoint. Uh, I saw Sean Jones on Friday at last Friday at the, uh, the Indy Next test and didn't get a chance to to speak to him about Devlin, but but I would think that's uh, one that has to factor in somewhere.
0: Well, there are some young drivers that have some budget. Devlin has some budget. Stingray Robb has some budget that is still looking for an opportunity. Uh, Christian Rasmussen and Oliver Askew both tested with Ed Carpenter Racing. If Callum Ilott is not going to return, and I don't know that he's not, but if he doesn't return to Hunkos Hollinger, Would someone else be interested in him? Would Dale Coyne be interested? Would A.J. Foyt Racing be interested? Would Ed Carpenter Racing be interested? And with Ed's team, there are a couple of scenarios. If I'm the owner and the driver who wants to win the Indy 500, I believe it's in Ed's best interest to share a full-time seat. So he could consider simply getting someone that's only doing road and street races and he does the ovals and they run two cars full time. If more budget becomes available, then you have someone running the 20 car again or number it however you want full time. And then a third car uh, could run full time or even mostly full time. Say he found a driver that can do six races. He has a driver that They went for the full season, hopefully brings a little bit of budget to help that, has another driver that wants to do a half a dozen or so, and then he does the other five ovals, and it's close to a full-time. You can hire staff. The crew is going to be better equipped. Remember, Kirk, this year, the Indy 500 is the first oval race, and I don't say that makes it more difficult necessarily for Ed. It will be that team's first time doing hot pit stops in a race. I think that makes it very difficult to win the Indy 500.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I could see in that half program at at Carpenter I I could see a Christian Rasputin there. I mean that 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 would make some sense to me, but any combination of these drivers that you're speaking of uh would make uh is still kind of the intrigue still to play out in this uh this off season.
0: I'm not going to bother going through all the list of drivers. There's a lot of them. There's many more qualified drivers than seats. We'll do that another time. Engineer silly season. I still haven't heard. I, I haven't really asked, dug into it. But we want to know where Craig Hampson is going to go. That is kind of number one. And then on his Twitter, Michael Armbruster uh, pointed out that he is joining AJ Foyt Racing. He has left Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, and this may be a bit of a trade because a report says that Danielle Cucchiaroni, who was Santino Ferrucci's engineer last year. And I think is very well regarded is headed to RLL. So I don't know the order of things happening there. If one was moved out in front of the other, or if a role was changed. But remember, Ray Hall changed a lot of roles last year midseason, and I suspect they are in the process of changing more in the off season. But that's a bit of a swap there with Cucchiaroni coming over to Ray Hall. Uh, and our, our Arbester has worked with um, Michael Cannon before, previously Dale Coyne. So I think he's pretty well-regarded. So that can be a nice one as far as that goes. Um, Oh, you know what? We should mention this has come up since last week, and there's been a lot of conversation on social media about it. We wondered about the public portion of the thermal preseason event, the $100 million challenge that is a bit of an exhibition and not a points-paying race, and there's a, a charity involvement in this. We had heard there was going to be an opportunity, a limited opportunity, to purchase tickets by the general public without even knowing a member at Thermal. And it's out there and some people found it. And apparently it's $2,000 for the weekend with some amenities that go along with that. How are we feeling about that?
1: Well I think I think I felt from the get go that the limited availability was was really going to be limited to start with and if you were you know connected to the thermal club you were going to have first dibs and therefore those wouldn't last very long in the first place so if there are a limited number I bet these are largely, and we'll never know what the breakdown is relative to connections to the thermal club. But if I had to guess, it'd be north of seventy percent of those people are already in the system, so to speak. Whether they're, you know, f- extended friends of of people who have uh, home ownership in that uh, club, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It, I, I understand the the maybe the public look. But I didn't really expect a lot of tickets to be available in the first place.
0: I know some have said they should have just kept it a private event. I I kind of feel like IndyCar wasn't going to win with some factions here. And we're going to get criticized either way. If you keep it a private event, then the criticism would be, you know, come on, this is a race. We should at least have the opportunity to pay a lot of money to come to this. When that price tag came out, my first response was, yeah, that's about what I was expecting. This is essentially a private event. But if you really want to pay to this exclusive event, you can. Um, but most of us are not in a position where we can pay $2,000. But in some ways, you look at what it costs. You know, I know the comparisons were made with Formula One weekend, and I know this is not a fully catered suite and everything, and there's just simply a meal that goes along with it. But, you know, sometimes a big band a uh, uh, a major famous band will play a tiny venue and those tickets aren't $75 a piece. They're a thousand dollars a piece because it's intimate because you were one of 75 people or 150 people or whatever. And that's kind of what this is. And I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but I, I just kind of saw this as a private event. And then it's, Hey, if you really want to go, we'll make it available. In fact, one of our listeners Someone sent me a message and said, I bought a ticket. So it's someone that we know that I don't believe is a gazillionaire that thought, you know what? This is going to be fun. It's going to be unique. It's going to be incredible access. Uh, you're going to have the run of the place. So I'm going to give it a go and see what it's like.
1: I think that's great. And I think we'll have him on the show uh, afterwards <laughs> because I think, I think it will really speak to – uh, the uniqueness of it, because we, you know, you and I know, even when you have great access at a place like Road America, always comes to mind because it's such a fan friendly place. You still aren't as intimate as this is going to be by a long shot, and so I think this will be even, even really one of the cooler experiences that's available. Price tag is as it is.
0: So that's coming up. That'll get our season started. Uh, actually, I won't get our season started. That's uh, coming up after the opener at St. Petersburg. So really kind of honestly helps fill the gap with Texas going away. All right, still to come, Elio Neves on the show tonight. Louis Foster from Andretti Global. We're going to talk about Indy Next testing. They were on track at IMS last week. And just a beautiful weekend at IMS for young drivers hoping to make it to IndyCar. We'll get to that and plenty more all coming up. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, the fans.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
0: All right, Trackside continues uh, as we move on to some other things outside of silly season and the latest news. And Kurt, we had activity at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway over the weekend. Uh nice. I think you were out there were you out there on Friday for Indy next testing a little bit?
1: Yeah, I was there on Friday for most of the day or at least, you know, a good healthy portion of the day and you know, I I I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons and uh it was a nice day of course and and to start to see like, you know, it's funny we talk about like the first day of school and that usually comes uh in the spring when we've got, you know, media day and you know last year was a thermal and you start to see cars and drivers and liveries and so forth well we don't we haven't seen any liveries uh to speak of and we may not know all the car and driver combinations but there were 25 21 drivers on the on the grid for this uh chris griffith's uh memorial test at IMS on the road course and so 21 you know that's up from you know they were pretty regular around 17 17 18 cars and drivers last year so going up three was was pretty significant I think for this test and I know not everybody's probably going to be on the grid but I had a chance to talk to Levi Jones a racing director and a, a lot of well, maybe not a lot of interesting things but several interesting things that that uh, we've had a chance to, to write about on IndyCar.com and, and just, you know, he thinks they could have uh, at least equipment wise, they could have as many as 23 ready to go for, for the spring. Now, do we have enough teams uh, ready to, to field all those entries? You know, that's to be determined, but you talk about a good job that this, this series has done over the last what, two and three years. It wasn't that long ago. We were talking about 12, 14 cars and 21 at the test and and a chance for as many as 23 equipment-wise. That's pretty good. I came
0: out, I guess, later in the afternoon and saw the end of the day. It was a little bit uh, dreary in the morning and, and really the morning session was wet. Saturday and Sunday were really nice, especially in the afternoon for the USF Pro Championships combine. Um, that car count, I I think everybody take 20 right now and just move on. I don't know. I think it's going to be difficult to get more than that solidified, but it is possible. You're right. The equipment is out there. I know that two or three drivers were just kind of sampling and there's at least one or two of those that are planning on doing USF pro 2000. Um, But one of the thoughts and one of the reasons why Jackson didn't run this weekend and also the fact that it's very expensive, but we want to save our budget for next year. And I know some even that have budget felt like it's not really worth that investment to test because it's on the wrong tire. Cooper tires is going away and continental tire is coming in. So yes, it's always good to get laps, but unless you are new to that car or new to that track, we saw that with Indy next last year when they were testing on a tire that wasn't going to be used the next season, you're better off to save your budget. And I think there are one or two uh, USF Pro drivers that decide, you know what, we'll go ahead and just try the Indy next car and see how we go on on that regard. So Louis Foster, uh, who's going to be on the show a little bit later on, was fastest. That's not a huge shocker. He certainly is on that short list of championship favorites as a race winner coming back for year number two. I think Jacob Abel continues to show that that he and his family-run team Are real and he's going to be a factor. He's been very close to winning a race uh, over the last year and a half or so. And then Miles Rowe, and I think this was um, one of the really notable moments of the day. Remember, this is new for him, and and I happened to Jackson and I happened to be walking out towards pit lane when they finished, and we ran into Miles five minutes after he got out of the car. So he ended up third quick, and you know he comes up and says hello, and he's you know he's very. Uh, friendly and chatty. And I said, great day. You know, you were P2 until just the last few minutes or so and dropped to third. And either he's a really good actor or they don't tell him anything. He had no idea that he finished off third and obviously was ecstatic with that, with his very first time in that car. Had done no testing and testing is more limited now in this series than it was in previous years. So, I think they only have a couple of chances to be in the car the rest of this year. Uh, So he said that I specifically have asked not to know how I was doing. He knows his lap times, but he doesn't know how he compares because he feels like, you know, maybe he pushes a little bit too much. So he has asked not to know. And even after he got out of the car at the end of the day, he didn't ask or wasn't told where he ended up. So that was fun delivering that news to him. And he was more than satisfied with how that went. It was also uh, interesting to me, and I can't really repeat it. So we'll get Miles on the show soon and I'll have him explain it. But listening to two drivers that ran at the same level last year explain the differences. And he was a bit surprised at some of the differences, not that it was harder than he thought necessarily, but between the pro car and the Indian X car. So I, I think that was fun to kind of listen to. But that's what really stood out, that as a rookie driver, Miles Rowe continues to show that he's the real deal. And in an HMD car with maybe some Penske support, at least as far as, hey, we've got a question here. What do you think? He might be a championship contender in year one.
1: Yeah, that's really it's really remarkable. What did he win? I think he won five races last year in in USF Pro 2000 and. You know, that's that's pretty impressive. And, you know, you talk about, you know, lap times. I mean, the fact that really just Foster and Jacob Abel were the only two cars that were quicker. Uh, Miles was quicker. His quickest lap was quicker than Nolan Siegel's quickest lap. And, Uh you know, and then you start looking down and there's some guys – uh, and gals uh, deeper in the in the 21 car list that have got Indy Next experience. So, you know, that's pretty remarkable and many of them in HMD cars. So it's it's um, it's pretty impressive. It's very impressive. Actually, I shouldn't even say pretty impressive. Uh, it's very impressive. I think Louis Foster really will be the, you know, the 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 one they're hunting, if you will. Uh, yep. He he was he really probably should have finished third last year. He was every bit as quick as Rasmussen in qualifying. In fact, you probably make the argument he was quicker than Rasmussen overall in terms of, you know, just if you took their average uh, qualifying results and and, you know, Rasmussen had a couple of those holes that were were entry points so you know he was he was really quick last year and i think just another year of experience will do him him wonders in an andretti car and i i really i i'm proud of of jacob abel and and how that team has progressed i know they haven't like you said haven't won a race but but he just continues to be there and and i think another year will make him a, a title contender as they get their you know IndyCar aspirations lined up if if they're truly to have them and and an Indy 500 possibility down the road so you know I think that's that's really good for him and and you know there were some others some other newcomers that were interesting to watch I I was surprised I think of the 21 I counted up like 13 still qualify as rookies and maybe it's just a tad under that but that's a you know it was interesting to see and Really, most of them being American drivers. Um, there were not as many international drivers as I think I would have expected. So it was just interesting to watch and, and kind of first day of school feeling. And as you mentioned, they ran the Firestone tire this time last year. They were not on the Firestone tire. And then they went to the first race with the new manufacturer, <laughs> new to the series. And that kind of, you know, was a, was a rude awakening for some, for some that didn't have the experience to kind of show up and run the Firestone.
0: And also, we got confirmation that Jamie Chadwick is going to be back with Andretti Autosport. That was actually Andretti Global is the name now. So that was one of the things we didn't know about. And there had been some speculation that Andretti would be partnering with Cape if that is to happen. It has not been announced. And a couple of people told me that is not done at this point. So I don't know. I'm going to trust the report in that regard. My guess is it somewhat depends on if there are drivers that Andretti wants to retain rights to that have budget that are ready, then that might be enough motivation for the two sides to come together. But the two drivers that ran for Cape, I've not heard really mentioned for Andretti. Uh, so I think some things still need to happen for that to take place. But happy to see Jamie is back. I know she has a spotlight on her from Europe because of the championships she won in the W Series, but I, and more importantly, people more qualified than me, think she did fine last year. That was a big step up in car. She was running legitimately inside the top 10 towards the end of the season. Year two is when you'll get a better chance of her. It's still going to be tougher to win the championship or finish top three, but I do think she will contend for podiums in year two and have a chance to do that and show, well, uh, she's talented, you know, but the problem is everyone is really talented at this level. So you don't just show up and all of a sudden you're right there in the front wanted to mention the, the other two levels as well. And who did best, uh, Simon Sykes, who won the USF 2000 championship was the fastest in USF pro. I think we had six different drivers from six different teams, lead sessions, so that tells you how difficult and how challenging USF Pro 2000 is going to be this season. One of the young guys that that did some time in uh, next uh, this year, Francesco Pizzi, was one of the quick ones, Locky Hughes, who stepped up from USF 2000. Bray Neves, remember him? He was yeah. back yeah. running from exclusive. That's some veteran talent, so that'll be difficult. Christian Brooks was back. Matt Clark was good. And then in USF 2000, the young man who I got to know last fall at the Lucas oil formula car shootout, Hudson Schwartz just turned 14, uh, ran and finished on the podium a couple of times in USF juniors. He won the Lucas oil scholarship and he was fastest in five of six sessions, including overall. He's from Washington, DC, very impressive young man. Hudson was fastest in USF 2000. So that's what we saw from uh, over the weekend. And there'll be a lot of private testing for those series. It's, it's, not limited, but I understand it is now an Indy Next, And I think everybody's going to Barber soon, maybe one other test, but I think that's pretty much it, which is probably good. It saves everybody a little budget, and they'll start looking ahead to what's going to happen in 2024. And we'll get, uh, I'm sure, more confirmations in the coming days for the Indy Next field and grid as it gets lined up. All right, we'll get you set for hour number two. Good guests coming up in hour number 2. Yeah, they've done some things. We talked about Louis Foster, Elio Castreaves still coming up and much more. Trackside 935 1075 the fan. Okay, let's check into the Twitter inbox here in this segment. Uh, at Kevin Lee twenty three, at Kurt Cavan, Ken Anderson, eighty two, Ken R Anderson eighty two says just watched a recap of the twenty fifteen season. You are wearing a fire suit. Pit reporting. When did this change? I found it interesting that IndyCar would reverse a PPE rule. I'll have to think about that. It's probably a personal protection rule. I don't know what that stands for. Uh, He says, maybe it wasn't a rule in BC, just thought it looked cool. Hey, I think you actually hit it there. So there has not been a rule for quite some time in IndyCar that the pit reporters needed to wear fire suits. I'm sure there was at one point, you know, just the general conversations over the years since I've been on pit lane, which started on radio back in 2004, we generally wore them. We thought it was a good idea, uh, for protection because you never know. And then honestly, part of the part was too, especially radio when maybe you have some new people coming in and out, it kind of helped distinguish you that, uh, You were someone that belonged down there and maybe helped, say, team strategists, engineers know, okay, this is someone that has an official role. This is why he's trying to talk to me or she during the race. And to the other part, I think television people kind of felt like, yeah, it made you look official. And that was part of our thought process back in the day and the added safety part of it and then it started being loosened a little bit I remember when we had double header races in Houston when it was a thousand degrees we decided yeah day two these things are soaked we're not wearing them again and we'll just try not to catch on fire Uh, so it eventually relaxed and went away uh, because we wanted to be uniform I think we had some pit reporters that really did not want to wear them I didn't mind but I didn't argue about not wearing them because it does make life A lot easier especially as i was going from the booth to do indie lights races trying to hustle to pit lane and so forth so that's kind of how that started and we have the ability to uh, look at what we call the jerk cams, the little monitors, so I kind of stay out of the fray and away from it to begin with, but that's how that started. Now, when you see me doing sports car races, IMSA, I am still wearing a fire suit, and that is because, so I don't have to there either, unless I want to go over the wall. We are allowed to be on the literal pit lane where the cars are pitting while the race is going on, which, you know, to me seems a bit baffling. And I kind of bounce back and forth, but it helps to be over there because with those tents behind pit lane, you can't see anything. You can't get to anybody. You don't know what driver's going in next. So that's why I wear the fire suit and then just try not to get hit. I'm more worried about getting hit than actually catching on fire uh, at that point. Uh, This is from Sandberg Moose 23. Talk about this Stern bomb, please, with a screen grab of an Adam Stern from Sports Business Journal tweet from earlier today. And actually, while Adam Stern does have a lot of breaking news, uh, like woge bombs in the NBA, Stern bombs, this is really uh, a Jenna Jewel. Maybe that's what we'd call it. This is Jenna Fryer from the Associated Press that wrote a story. And the, the quote that Adam grabbed was, Andretti can make a case that keeping him out of F1 is indeed personal. Three different people with direct knowledge of the conversations confirmed to AP that F1 asked General Motors if it would partner with someone other than Andretti. So this is a a column in the Associated Press, column slash story, where Jenna cites some different aspects where it still seems to be a bit of an uphill battle. The teams clearly don't want Andretti in, don't see value in that brand, Uh, but they do want General Motors I'm not sure if they'd be open to General Motors partnering with a new team. I think they'd really just like to see General Motors involved with uh, one of the current 10 teams. So we shall see. I'm still hoping that there is a path for Andretti. But they probably are going to need to find some sort of a loophole because I think... Most of these Formula One owners are pretty dug in as to where they are uh, right now. All right, plenty more to come in hour number two. Kurt is going to take over for much of this and chat with Louis Foster, Andretti Global, Indy Next driver, one of the championship favorites next year, and Elio Castroneves, who's got a lot of new things going on. Stay with us. It's Trackside, 93.5, 107.5.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm the fan. All right, back on Trackside
1: on a wonderful evening to talk IndyCar racing and all forms of motorsports and whatever we get into with our next guest, Elio Castroneves, I like still saying the soon to be five time Indianapolis 500 winner. Is that okay with you? I believe you were, you're reading my mind right now. So it's just a matter of time. Uh, although it does seem like it's going to be a long time before we run the Indy 500 again, the 108th running. You had a chance to be at the Speedway, you know, not that long ago and, and the rookie orientation program. Did it feel like I mean, does it feel like it's going to be a long time before the Indy 500? I mean, it's October, uh, you're yeah. there, it's, you know, it's kind of chilly. It doesn't feel like what May feels like, you know, how do you see it? Look, the way the way I see, obviously, um,
3: uh, until we go back to April, which I believe is the open test, yeah, it will feel like forever. Um, I remember the same scenario happened in 2021 when I um, I just went back uh, you know, uh, after a year later, basically, so it's it's it, it sucks, no question. Um, however, it is what it is. That it's the the we adapt, we human being, and you just have to adapt and continue moving forward. Um, it was great that we were there, as you mentioned, with um, uh, ROP or ROT now, I guess they call, with Tom and uh, make sure the MSR understanding and get all the pieces together. For me, it was always great to be back but looking forward for sure to on the third car with MSR. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, the Indy 500 for sure, because we feel we're going to have a little more work, more intense, different than that 2022 and different than 2023 for sure.
1: And uh, we're looking forward to it. So I asked you, we were sitting on pit road and (laughs) I was asking you if, if uh, this felt different and if you were adjusting to kind of an advisor's role a chance to be on the headset, talk to Tom, you know, and I, and I I expected this really nice, you know, polite answer about how you're feeling good about it. And you said, yeah, I'm not adjusting. <laughs>
3: <right> now, no. <laughs> is, it well,
1: just, is it just
3: weird? You have to. I had a good conversation with Dario over there. I'm sure people saw it on social media. Uh, somebody captured our conversation and he said like it's going to take a while i was like mm-hmm. yeah right now sucks uh <laughs> however again look it it is what it is uh it, it's nothing you can do you or you just gotta you just gotta join the momentum i'm very fortunate to have an incredible uh, partners like uh jimmyer mike shank and the liberty group to uh, be able uh you know to accept me as not only a, a small uh, a shareholder in the team, but also continue our quest to the to the number five, which they know, they believe, I believe, and uh, we know that we can do it. So, in those terms, I have at least um, uh, not only that, but uh, something that it's
1: going to push us to continue our our quest. So, we were talking to Marcus Armstrong on the ganassi side and and he said let me read you the quote he said "Dario gets pretty specific with his advice and everything and you know it's all relevant when you get done you know how he feels and turning points and all this and that he said and then and then dixon comes along and says yeah just go flat out yeah. he says like there's two different opinions here or two different styles and and I was fascinated watching you, and and then watching Tony kanan and, and your different styles. Do you just think there's just different ways to to kind of skin this, or or to help? I mean, how are you? Are you chatty with Tom? Were you? How would you describe how you communicate with him? Because you're not going to drive the car for him,
3: correct? Well, you first you got to know the person, and the good news is I already know Tom from the a program and I know how quick he is I know how talented he is and uh, I can't just go and talk to him like uh, like my nephew for example that is just learning racing right he already know the things it's just to give him some pointers uh, enough for him to look never running over before just you know I use this reference to make sure that I when i'm ready i'll go for it so i just give him my point of view but he will find out on his own obviously and happened that in texas happened that in uh, in indianapolis and i used the example that uh, I, as i mentioned before Al senior and uh, john Rutherford, when i was a rookie what they told me and it was very beneficial because you know they gave me all the pointers they they looked me again i wasn't it wasn't a i wasn't a rookie in terms of I never drove a race car I was never being in Indianapolis and I need those. So for me, it was extremely important uh, to kind of like, I watched some of the videos before and I say, Hey, you we're a little too close to the curbs and things like that. Details that um, as a driver, not knowing the track specifically, um, it just gave him some, some extra uh, advice, but I know Dario. <laughs> I know Simon. Those guys are very, very specific. I mean, they are very minimalistic and detailistic, and all the points that they want to find out. I'm not sure how Tony is. Probably Tony is more like of a patient. He's like just pedal to the metal. <laughs> but I, I just try to encourage and not trying to uh, scare them.
1: Well, one of the things that Tony said with the Arrow McLaren team was he's listening to all these engineers you know, they've got, you know, 68 of them on the pit stand and they're trying to tell Kyle Larson, all these different things, adjust this, do this, do this. And he finally just said, stop, stop talking to him. He knows how to drive a race car. He can learn all these things later. Let's not feed him every bit of information we have on day one. It, it, can you get, I I assume you can, you can get too much too soon.
3: And and it depends
1: how you know the person. I, I did
3: not mention that, but because of the well. First of all, when you when you drive an IMSA uh, car these days, which is the hybrid, oof. <laughs> it is. I mean, Kurt, it is absolutely incredible. How many options do you have, right? It's button here, button here, so scroll here, here. Anyway, um, once the person is so used to keep playing with things. Um, they are used to drive the car and things like that. In these conditions, Tom was like, okay, what do I do now? So he was already sort of like in that mentality, which kids these days are, they can do multitask. I couldn't, I still, <laughs> at the at the race a few weeks ago, I was still finding out what button you guys want me to press? And I can't see this, but uh, um, yes, it is, you, you just got to learn how, who it is, uh, understanding what the person you talking to and uh makes sense of course uh sometimes you just like let it drive you understand you'll find out and especially for Larson that already being at the racetrack with a different car not understanding what to do um yeah Tony was absolutely right and um and but I'm I, I'm sure with the sim, uh the way the car is and all the technology that we have, videos, stuff like that, they're gonna be like walking apart
1: yeah, I was curious if you you know you talked about Rutherford and and Al senior and you even mentioned Cheever, <laughs> which was funny. Right. um that were were helpful in your development. Years ago, you would go at you know, you would have somebody go down in the corner and and watch the entry point uh to see where things, you know how you drove the corner. today, you really don't have to do any of that you can you can see all that from the pit stand, can't you? can can you gather enough information to help Tom? just from the pit stand or do you and the video I suppose as well? yeah the video helps a lot um obviously afterwards spotters were able to
3: as well to communicate because they have a lot of experience as well when they see uh you know during the uh, you know the whole entire month so they understand and they kind of like uh, communicate with me So there was a bunch of other areas that you can combine and to fast approach. Uh, the objective. But as we talk about it, uh, that day particularly is to pass the test, to make sure they feel comfortable. There is nothing with the steering wheel, the the belt, the visual aspect. Uh, Those are the main uh, uh, circumstances that, in fact, (laughs) Linus, we're trying to to go a little too much. He already have sort of experience of running within the lights. However, um he he was a little busy with the tires going too long, but but the point is uh, IndyCar basically made it ex- perfect. And I feel the the that sort of a test helps so much,
1: the first impression, and um it's it's extremely important for sure. Elio Castroneves joins us. Let's talk about the hybrid a little bit. You didn't drive the car, but obviously you talked to as many people as you could and and you saw some of the things that they're toying with, and there's a well. Maybe you didn't see as much. You weren't there on on the two days, Thursday and Friday, so maybe you didn't learn that much while you were at the Speedway. And there's still a lot of decisions to be made. But from what you know about it, with all the other things that you have to do at Indy, you know, especially in traffic, do you think this is going to be a challenging thing for? Maybe the not so experienced drivers to be dealing with at the same time what they're trying to do with you know the roll bars and the weight jacker and traffic and you know eight other cars around me and so forth. Do you think that's going to be a challenge uh, for the lessic lesser experienced? Well,
3: first of all, to, uh, changing uh, going to the new system, it's it's fantastic. I'm really happy that uh, IndyCar made that decision on the technical aspect having honda and chevy as well on board it's absolutely great uh, our cars are not already advanced however when you adapt uh the, the new technology it takes a little time i feel that um, they're doing the, the the right test at the moment uh my opinion uh, in this situation uh i believe everybody's going to learn together because it's something very very new to everyone but the first actually major oval it will be, I mean, it'll be Indianapolis. My opinion, I would say stay aside, keep the same way um, so that we can uh, continue learning during the road course and other places uh, until we, we definitely figure it out. Because I think four or five races, how many races it is before Indy 500, I don't think is going to be enough to To have things, you know, ready, it can have the hybrid there in the car. Don't get me wrong; it can use in some areas, maybe to the pits or something like that. I don't know, but in my opinion, I would just keep the same way. However, if they decided to continue going, I spoke with Ron Rosinski. Actually, which he used to be my former uh, engineer, and he's been doing a lot of tests with Pensky uh, regarding the hybrid. He said it's been very, very surprisingly good. Uh, yes, uh, you know there was always hiccup, but at the moment, it's been very positive. So that's, that's great. You know, but I still say, I was like, well, why don't we just, you know, stay aside at least for the Indy 500 and keep improving because it's not going to be the end of the world. You know, if, uh, if we don't have it for the biggest race of the, of the season and, um, well the biggest race of all. And, but that's my opinion. As of right now, everything seems to go very positive, which is great.
1: So, Alexander Rosty was asked about, you know, you've got you've got this you know, acceleration, if you will, with the hybrid, this ability to to dissipate energy. But with the additional weight, he doesn't think the cars will be any faster. They just may be quicker out of the corners. Is that the way you see it? I think so. I'm not sure if he has enough power to feel it. Similar
3: to the hybrid uh, uh, IMSA. I know I keep uh, uh, making the reference, but that's the only one I actually know. Um, and again, it's a very, very similar. The car still going super fast, uh, but in the end of the day, the, the amount of energy that puts into the to the car, uh, it's not enough. Um, and I, I'm sure we will get there. But as I mentioned, we need to do baby steps. We can't just go from one to ten. Without going to the uh, you know one, two three four five, so and and so I don't think it will be a lot of issues. That's another suggestion I'm making, and this <laughs> this is between you and I. Obviously, I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody from uh, from the the series, but this is another suggestion I'm making because it, it it can be very disruptive. And look, the last I mean I don't know how I many five hundreds you already have, but I will say the last. 20 or 15 at least it was incredible You never know who's going to win it's been decided literally on the last lap and um so yeah i i, I believe um uh, if it works <laughs> if it's winning don't touch it right keep it the same way and uh, and uh, but let's see we still a lot a lot a of lot developing to go
1: you may you make a lot of references to to IMSA as you talk about it. and we haven't seen and this isn't a Blumquist question. It it really is is more as I think about both Blumquist and and Colin Brown and and some others that have been thinking about coming to IndyCar, uh, or they just you know they've been looking for their path to IndyCar. We've seen so much success in these endurance races, where the IndyCar driver steps in and just is terrific in a sports car. Hunter Ray, Dixon, yourself, uh, Justin. Bourdais, Kirkwood, even Hawksworth, you know, really strong in, in sports cars. Is it, and this may be difficult to answer, but it seems like the guys who have, you know, been really quick in quicker cars really adapt well to sports cars, but I haven't seen it come the other direction as much.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It, is, it a, is, it, is that too simplistic to say? No, you you, you have a good point for sure. Um,
3: obviously, few things. Our cars are very difficult to drive. The competition level is incredible. And these days it's even harder before you used to have three three four three teams let's put it this way um that it was it was pretty competitive the rest is like all this but now it's not now it's everyone everyone is very very competitive and we're talking about thousands of a second the the, the because it's tricky because it's so heavy I remember when I was driving uh uh 20 2017 with Penske I don't remember being that heavy when I came back 2021. I'm like, whoa, even 2022, even last year was the first, or this year, I'm sorry, was the first year that I'm like, all right, now I start getting understanding what kind of caster I got to use and stuff like that. But um, uh, the reason I'm saying that is because those drivers, they basically adapt to the to the power steering wheel. And and basically, this is the not only about your back, is the one that actually fuels the car, but the steering wheel is the one that initial, the whole thing. So when that thing when the steering will become more I mean heavier so you don't have much sensitivity like you have in those sports car even in Europe you got to you know you got to change a little bit of the, the the wires that you have here and uh and uh and be a little more proactive yep so I see that the the reason some of the reasons right not knowing the tracks as well street courses are very tough to uh learn from the sim and uh, and jump straight out of uh, uh, to the real deal. So all of those details in fact look at what, uh, what, what Tom was doing at least in Toronto Portland he never ran there and then when he came to Laguna he was much more with the pace and uh, and show the his potential. So I believe and for us knowing the track, we have it's a little different. We don't need to put as much effort but we need to be a little more smooth. Because now a power steering wheel do they can help you do all the work. Now you you much more. That's I believe my opinion on those. But now if you're gonna go to the Europe,
1: everybody uses power steering wheel, yep. and uh, so it's becoming much more natural. And and you don't you don't realize on the outside how much testing really is in a sports car program. They came to the speedway and you know in advance of the IMSA race this year. Shoot, I think I think the MSR team was out there five days. What do you get? Like forty-five minutes in an IndyCar weekend? You know, you just yeah, you you nail you 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 said well said, uh, Kurt. Uh, the test
3: is another second. Uh, we used to have a long time ago tests, and now it's it's all done as you mentioned forty-five minutes. If if it doesn't rain, right? Because if it rains during the session, <laughs> now now you back you're back, uh, you know, on the path and you you just lost uh, that time, you're going to learn in the race.
1: Elio Castroneves joins us. us talk a little bit of, about, uh, you know, the MSR path for you back into sports cars isn't going to be there in 2024. You've won the last three Daytona Rolexes uh, you're probably wearing all of them right now on your wrist. I'm I, that's what <laughs> so you would put them right, right
3: here. Okay, here you go.
1: See the three here? Ah. Yeah, this is radio. They can't see all the trophies ah. behind you. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Oh. So the point is, uh, do you have are you considering I assume you are? are you but you can see all of them, right? I can see all of them. I know here take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a path, uh potential path back to uh the Rolex and the endurance races in twenty twenty-four? I'll be honest, my
3: DNA always been in the car. However, IMSA—it's—it's—it became a passion since I left uh, uh, the IndyCar circuits in 2017. I I found in love uh, as well with IMSA sports car. From 2018 to 2022, now it, it's absolutely amazing competition. You racing with so many different categories, and it's so competitive. Um, so for me, yes, I would love to pursue, I would love to defend my, my, uh, Rolex title. It was great. Uh, as you saw a few weeks ago, we're winning the, uh, uh Petit with, uh, our last race with Acura. And again, Acura has been so good to, uh, MSR, uh, even before I joined the team, uh, they were able to win so many GT championships. Uh, we won with the GTP, obviously the DPI, not, not, not this year, but uh, leaving the, li- basically giving them um, and leaving this, the, the series on top. It's just, uh, it's just perfect. Wishing me, I, I, I'm obviously a shame, that we're not going to continue together, but I'm wishing them all the best. And I said that to Mike, Hey, one door closed, many other outdoors are going to open. And uh, I believe you not only show the capability the team show this amazing incredible performance and uh it's just a matter of a negotiation when we find and uh we're going to come back so for me it would be awesome to continue not only the long distance race whatever it is um um because i i want to keep going i want to i learn all these things a little bit late so it's just, uh, I don't want to waste, you know, throw away, just pop. And I was like, guys, take advantage. You know, I, it's a lot of experience that you, when you, when you learn from this. Um, and, um,
1: yeah, I just want to keep it going. So you're going to, if an offer comes up, you're, you're interested. Sign me up. Sign me up. I'm ready. Yeah, let's talk. Are I'm you, not, I'm not cheap.
3: <laughs> just want to say there is, as you mentioned here, there, there is a, there is some, some experience that I can prove, you know, but, uh, absolutely it would be great to um uh, delivery uh another win for sure
1: you've run in tony stewart's srx uh division do you feel i hate the phrase but do you feel like you're kind of a fish out of water a little bit when you go run on the dirt and do you feel like it's just like i don't know what i'm doing here but <laughs> no well in the dirt for sure in the yeah.
3: dirt i have no idea where to turn because you, you the corners are to the left and i'm turning to the right it's Again, my wires are not programmed to that, Um, but but let me tell you about SRX. um, Tony Stewart, of course, the entire uh, Sandy uh, Andrew and um, and uh, of course Don Hawk. He he, these guys are incredible. They are doing such incredible work. Uh, They found such a niche, you know, to the DNA of uh, America racing the tracks that we go through. And and it's great learning and understanding, going with those, uh, the NASCAR drivers, uh, uh, different series. It is absolutely awesome. So I enjoy it. I have fun, just like I did in IROC a million years ago, which was fantastic. So now having, again, the same thing, and that uh, uh, um, Thursday night thunder.
1: (laughs) Whatever it is.
3: Whatever thunder it is. But it's (laughs) all so much fun. And I'm, I'm in next year. That's the way I taught Hawk, Hawk, put me in, because now I'm going to have more time to have fun as well.
1: Last thing, uh, it didn't, I couldn't really find a way to write it in a story. Uh, Well, I might still slip it in, but it was funny the other day. You were asked, what did you think about Joseph Newgarden climbing through the fence rather than going over it? (laughs) And you were, you were great. You just said rookie mistake, rookie mistake.
3: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I asked him, hey, I did this once, by the way, in Sonoma when I won. They didn't have a fence, but I have to climb something and uh, I end up going to the crowd and I got my butt pinched a few times. I was like, all right, time to go. <laughs> so I bet you had the same day. Oh, yeah, I had the same thing. Of course. I mean, the fans are there to have fun, you know? But um, look, no matter what it is, in the end of the day, uh, people l- like to see that, love to see the, how difficult it is to win a race. But special Indianapolis Five Hundred. It is a once in a lifetime opportunity, and um, you gotta show your emotion. You gotta have fun and and enjoy it. You know because um, only you uh, and probably your family knows how hard work you have all these years to achieve that. So yeah, you should celebrate.
1: It's not a once in a lifetime. It's a four times in a lifetime.
3: Well, some people are very fortunate to to uh, like myself uh, to be able to. Yeah, four time and
1: <laughs> another one. <laughs> Let's make it five. All right. Well, it's um I appreciate your energy and your uh your candor and we will be seeing you back on a, in a race car pretty soon.
3: You will, my friend. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. We'll be back in just a minute. Trackside 9351075 5, the fan.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits. Long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Back on a Tuesday night for Trackside. Plausibly live tonight because, well, we want to take opportunities to spend time with people as they're available. Louis Foster is one of those people who has uh, really had a good couple of years uh, here in the states as he's uh, progressed with a championship, ran fourth last year in Next by Firestone. Uh, is looking has looked at uh, the IndyCar series as in terms of 2024, but has made the announcement now that he will continue with andretti global in 2024 first of all uh we're here on on friday because that was when you were available with testing on the IndyNext side how has testing been not a great day maybe a more like a may day for indianapolis here in october but
4: how's today how's today been well as you said we haven't really done anything yet today um so far just running the car obviously it's been completely rebuilt since the last time we were out in Laguna Seca back in August um so yeah so far not much to report on to with uh we've only done I think five laps in total um but hopefully this afternoon if it does clear up the weather a little bit and the truck starts to drive it a bit faster we'll do some more dry running and then really get into the the depths of our run plan so you did
1: we talked a couple weeks ago and you were, you know, exploring what the options were on the IndyCar side. You kind of felt like returning to Next was going to be the path. Take us through just how that process goes. I assume everybody has to, you know, do the due diligence, see what's available, see if there are options.
4: Did it really come close at all or was this the natural decision? Um yeah well i mean we had the we had the indy car test with andretti back in uh road america back in august or well, sorry september it was um and off the back of that we were we were looking at seeing if we could get a drive in indy car um obviously you know how hard it is nowadays to get into indy car you got to figure out which sheets are open um you know a lot of teams don't really know exactly what what their plan is it's still to this day i know there's multiple teams that haven't finalized driver decisions so um yeah, I mean, we, we were looking. Obviously, we were always open to, to returning to Indy Next, um, back with Andretti again. Um, but yeah, nothing really came to fruition that would have been uh, advantageous to my career. So, all, all the opportunities we had just didn't really work. Um, so, we decided that it would be better off for me to spend another year in Indy Next um, and then win the championship and then go on to IndyCar in 25. So, you won
1: a couple races on the next side in 2023 and four poles. I think one of the things that became clear, you brought this up to me a, f- a few weeks ago, is pace isn't a problem. You, you were clearly right at the top of the leaderboard in terms of pace in qualifying. If you look at qualifying results, you and Christian Rasmussen almost identical in terms of over the course of the season. You must feel like whatever level this, your water rises to, you're ready on pace.
4: Yeah, well, Christian had a few polls given to him for free, didn't he? So uh, I'll take the one up on that one. But, yeah, I mean, we were we were the fastest qualifier all year last year, uh, averaged out. Um, so, you know, that that's something that's, that's you know, hopefully going to stay next year. Um, but, yeah, I think the majority of, of the improvements in a second year will come from the experience side of things. You know, I think everyone who's here competing in Indy next, uh, obviously there is definitely... Uh, there's like a curve, right, of of, of drivers and, and your ability. And when you start off, you're very bad and you get better and better and progressively faster. And then you st- then plateau off, right? So when you get to this kind of level, what you've got is what you've got kind of if that makes sense when it comes to pure speed so i don't think a lot of drivers are going to improve in pace wise in in a second year i think it's mainly just maturity and understanding of the series is where you improve the most and i think that's going to be the case for me i think maybe we could we could find a bit more bit more time in it but you know this year we were at the limit of the car already and i you know i felt really comfortable in it so i think the main thing for me next year is just learning on the mistakes we made last year myself or as a team or whatever um and and just you know trying to trying to Get all of the all of the leaks blocked in, so we have no 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 uh, kinks in our armor. You talked about uh,
1: experience and just maturity and so forth. Te- I mean, you technically finished fourth in the championship. I would argue maybe you finished third. You were just a couple points out of third, but you had a couple instances. I think Detroit was a good example, maybe where you know out of your control totally, you're 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 put uh, in a much lower position. Where can, you, where can you point to in a time last year that if you said to yourself and you were honest, another year I probably wouldn't have made that mistake or that situation would have been different? And I, I ask you that not from you know, looking back at last year, but more so just how, the, how a driver improves his, improves his own experience over the course of time.
4: Yeah, I think uh, St. Pete the first round was a massive reality check for me and let me uh, kind of sit back on it because obviously start off, debut, pole um, and then I was thrown right in the deep end into the start, leading the race and a lot of pressure on myself to try and come away with at least a podium you know, preferably a win Um, and that obviously went from me leading the race to ending up tapping the wall and finishing dead last, you know, so that was quite a big reality check for me um, just kind of centering myself again um but yeah as you said there's a lot of instances throughout the year last year of things in the races that were out of my control I won't list them because I don't like to make excuses um but it is a fe- hefty list um but you know I would say just just gradually throughout the year I mean there were some places like um you know the, the Detroit one could have done something differently possibly you know I could have on the brakes a bit sooner or whatever or I, I, it's it's hard when you get hit from behind but there's things you can do in those situations where i think a lot of drivers would look at that and go oh well i got it from behind i can't do anything about it but in actual fact there is some things you can do to to avoid those kind of instances um so i think it's just kind of all those little things that built up um there wasn't like one light bulb moment where i was like oh my god second year would be amazing like it was never like that it was just kind of like throughout the year just lots of little things happened throughout the races that just ate away at my potential for points and my potential to get podiums or wins um which is frustrating looking back on it I do feel like I got a little bit short end of the stick last year or this year sorry in, in the next I do feel like I should have been challenging for the championship you know more than I was I think Christian was a great competitor and I think it have been hard to beat either way but I would have, I would have liked to have said I should have been a bit closer to, to that championship battle. Um, but you know, like I said, I think a second year is just just going to pay dividends with the experience that I have from the first year.
1: Yeah, Louis Foster joins us. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the the growth. You know, you're you're at a point in your life and 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 I suppose in your career where you must feel so much, you know, better uh, with your position your your experience your Latin life whatever it is you must feel so much you surely must feel improved this time last year to where you are this time this year
4: yeah no hundred percent I mean like I said with it with a year in my back it, it, it puts me in, in in the front seat for the for the championship next year you know last year obviously I came in as the previous championships uh, champion um, in, in indie Pro well now USF Pro 2000 Um But obviously I didn't have any of the experience in the car, the races are longer, you know, there's a lot more things you gotta think about in the race with tire management and push to pass management. There's a lot of things going on in the next race if you're not used to it, it can be a bit daunting. Now, obviously, like I said, I've got, I don't know how many races we did last year, but I think, I don't know, about 15, um, 15 races where I've got that experience now. So, you know, I go into St. Pete round one in in, in February or March, whenever it is, Um, not worried, you know, just can't, whereas, rewind to this year, I was on the grid pretty nervous, you know, I was definitely, yeah, just struggled to m- struggle to control my, my my thoughts, emotions, just because it was s- there was so much going on, you know the less you've got going on in your head, the easier it is as a driver, just to be one dimensional and just focus on the one thing you need to focus on um, when you got stuff running through your brain it's it's hard
1: No, I think that's right, and I think you know, the all the things I mean, I think you've perfectly said it. You have you just feel differently, I think, when you get in the car at St. Pete in 2024 compared to where you're in 2023. I also was struck by the fact you tested at Road America, and almost immediately, that was one of your quicker laps. You must have felt like you adapted very quickly.
4: I assume you said about the IndyCar test.
1: Yes, IndyCar test.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the lights car, I think most drivers will say this, that jumping into an IndyCar... Is actually a lot more. The the car drives a lot better, and it's hard to explain exactly. But the way I would say it is: is the Indy Lights car has a lot of power, but not a ton of downforce. It's got a good amount, but proportionally, it's got quite a lot of power compared to the downforce. So the Lights car, so the NXT car, next car, is um, you know, it's quite loose and quite aggressive, and you're always working on the wheel and and soaring away at it, just trying to control the thing. Um, Whereas the Indy car's got a lot more grip and downforce, not a ton more power. Um, or at least that doesn't feel like a more power um, but it's got a lot more downforce so it, it's just a lot more settled the car so I mean I, I took to it pretty easily um, you know a few sessions just just getting into it but then yeah once we put on a good set of new tyres and once we were in we called it the, the, the morning, the, the golden hour where it was nice and cool and track temps are good and you know everything's working perfectly we set a pretty good time and then I couldn't beat it all day I got close to it towards the afternoon when I got better but you know, I feel like I got to the limit of that car quite quickly because I just felt really comfortable in it. Yeah, that's good. You've been living in LA still, yes? I just moved to Indiana about a week ago, actually. Oh,
1: it's a uh, it's a new experience of of being around here. Any first impressions of living here? I mean, I know you've been here as a as a competitor, and you spend a lot of time around the race shop, I'm sure. Any initial thoughts about the difference between, I guess, you know, LA to Indy versus,
4: you know. Europe to LA yeah well I've lived in quite a lot of different places to be honest with you, in my life um, so I'm, quite, I'm kind of used to moving around to be honest with you, especially the last four years it's been hectic where I've moved around everywhere but um, I mean LA is lovely obviously as everyone knows um, but it's just not really efficient for, for, for this for, for racing uh, and in, in the IndyCar paddock so you know I like it here in Indy I think it's a lovely place I honestly some people would call me crazy prefer the climate Um, the LA climate can be nice especially in the winter it's not too cold but it gets a little bit hot in the summer and I'm from England so this kind of weather I'm used to and it's kind of what my body likes so I I prefer it to be a bit colder um makes training easier getting up in the morning having to run when it's 35 degrees celsius isn't fun so um which I think is like 110 fahrenheit whatever it is but um yeah so I like it here in India I'm I'm based up in Carmel where most of the drivers are. and it's a very nice little town, I'm sure you've been there So it's a, it's quite a nice area So I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to, to being here full time And it makes racing life easier I don't have to do 70 flights a year I can drive to most of them So
1: It's good uh, Championship is, I don't know if it's uh, The only goal, but it should be Your priority for 2024 And I think you're set up pretty well To do that, accomplish that And move on to next season uh, and In the IndyCar series, I hope it goes well for you
4: yeah, Thank you very much
1: yeah, Louis Foster. All right, we'll be Kevin. will be back in just a second. We'll uh, see what else we need to tackle here on Trackside ninety three five one zero seven five. The Fan.
0: Final segment tonight from dual locations. Maybe you can hear the mood music uh, as I have shifted back to the hotel here in Fort Lauderdale. Dockside, Trackside tonight. Starting off the program, uh, I'm down here helping out some friends. Uh, in a kind of a combined effort, so I'm freelance, so I can kind of do things although I'm not sure I'd have to ask permission to appear on another network, but full disclosure I'm helping to produce. Hey, at some point they're going to tell me I'm not allowed to be on TV anymore, so i got to find my next job <laughs> next career, so I'm learning how to do some other things, and instead of me talking, I'm telling other people how to talk into a microphone. So working on, uh, again, the Fort Lauderdale International Boat Show, and I looked it up and this will air for the first It is kind of cool, especially in the winter, in cold places to think about being warm and just dream of things that aren't realistic for us. I spent part of the day on a $63 million boat today. I believe I can find better things to do with that, but it was fun for the afternoon. The uh, FLIBS show airs for the first time on FS2 on November 12th at 6 p.m. and has many, many, many re-airs. That's why it's a good project, because it's a generic show that can fill in for a rainout or anything else. So it'll be on FS1, FS2, and get to hang out with some friends that work more in the Fox world. Working with Josh Sims, uh, who if you're a NASCAR fan, you might have seen him on some of their telecast on trucks and cubs and Xfinity. So I'm working with Josh and our friend Jamie Little uh, and Will Christian, uh, who I worked with previously on Global Rally Cross and some other things over in the NBC family. So that's coming up. It's been fun down here. Headed back home very soon, and uh, we will still have more news to get through in coming shows. I believe we're set for next Tuesday. Check your local listings, but I think we're Tuesday from 7 until 9, trick-or-treating together next week. Thanks to everybody for being a part of show show for elijah back in the studio for kurt and our guests louis foster and elio castroneves i'm kevin lee we are i believe joining if you're listening live game seven of the national league championship series in progress Ninety-three-five-one-zero-seven-five. the fan